Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, August 16th edition of the Basement Academy as we gather in the gymnasium of the soul to begin a new week together. Um, this will be an interesting week as we do a little bit of a deeper dive on our pastoral reflection on critical race theory. Um, hopefully, there will be some greater clarity and understanding at the end of the week, and hopefully last week was a good setup uh, just with some historical background trying to frame uh, this thing <laughs> that we're hearing about so much. So let, let's begin with the morning psalm. Always good to begin the day and begin the week uh, in God's word. Uh, this would be somewhat familiar, I think. This is the psalm upon which uh, the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is based. And so Martin Luther took this hymn, this psalm and kind of reconfigured it, as it were, for the hymn. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Mm. Boy, with the, um, uh, the news of the, essentially the fall of Afghanistan, uh, the, the Taliban in essentially the span of about a week has completely overrun uh, the nation taking all the provincial capitals, and then Sunday uh, afternoon, um, maybe Sunday morning, I'm not, the, the timing, uh, saw it after church, that they had entered the capital city, and there are Taliban members sitting in the presidential office or whatever it is. So, boy, just heartbreaking. Um, we have connection to some of those Afghan translators who have relocated in previous months and years. We've been helping them relocate and supporting them. And um, my guess is there'll be many more. So as we read about nations in upper kingdoms falling, oof, it, it, it's, it's striking. <clears throat> the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in the midst of a world that is unsettling and uncertain, talked about that yesterday in church, in the midst of so many uncertainties, we, we bank on, <laughs> we, we, we build our lives on the solid rock of God's uh, presence and faithfulness and promises and the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, standing, standing on the rock of Christ. So as we dive into another week, who knows what the news will bring to us by way of school boards and school uh, districts um, teaching some of these themes, whether they go by the, the technical term of critical race theory or not. 
um, my guess would be that in the course of this week, we will hear news from corporate America or other places, certainly um, schools that are debating this. Um, we'll hear more about this. So let's try to go a little deeper. Where does critical race theory come from? Okay, let's start there. Well, um, the Frankfurt School, okay, talked about that last week, 1920s, um, a group of Jewish Marxist intellectuals in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, they fled Nazi Germany, and so they, some of them come to the States, and over time, <clears throat> they settle into some universities and other institutions and continue to teach what is known as critical theory, trying to understand why the Marxist workers' revolution hasn't taken place. And so it kind of broadened from an economic Marxism about the uh, bourgeoisie who own the means of production and the laborers, the proletariat, who sell their labor uh, to the capitalists, the owners. Uh, so this, it gets broadened to the oppressor and the oppressed, kind of cultural Marxism, as it were, is born. And then in Harvard Law School, uh, from the, the discipline of critical legal studies, is born critical race theory, critical theory about oppression uh, and these dynamics applied to the issues of race by a law professor named Derek Bell. So <clears throat> is that where CRT has come from? Well, yes, from Frankfurt, from Harvard. But for most of us, it has come completely out of the blue. My guess is that many of you, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, had never even heard of critical race theory. Now, we have... Uh, um, attorneys and judges in our um, congregation uh, who no doubt have encountered this from an academic standpoint, but from a popular kind of cultural standpoint, school boards and corporate America and the like, this thing has come pff, completely out of nowhere, out, out of the blue. And so I offered last week an historical context, but that's not where the real action is, okay? I wanted to do that. I didn't want to start by just kind of taking on the current form. I wanted to give the broadest view possible that it comes from somewhere and it's grounded in Marxist understanding of history and of society. And that's important, okay? Because uh, the, the expressions that have come out of that soil of critical theory all share that common intellectual or philosophical DNA of kind of a Marxist framework of oppression, uh, the, the oppressor and the oppressed. More importantly is the social cultural context from which critical race theory has appeared in our society. Um, I think it was um, uh, Hemingway uh, wrote uh, in, in one of his novels about this fellow, I think it's Bill, somebody, who went broke. How, how did you go broke? Well, I went broke two ways, gradually, then suddenly. And I think that's how critical race theory has come to us. <laughs> gradually, it's been around for decades, essentially a century ago that it was being born, um, uh, the, 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 the soil of it. But really, going back to the kind of 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, the ferment on college campuses, the academic uh, universe, it's been kind of growing and spreading quietly 
and then boom, suddenly it erupts uh, upon us. It's because of the cultural context or the social context, uh, better said, around racial issues in America. Uh, the shootings in Ferguson that gave rise to the Black Lives Matter movement and organization, Trayvon Martin, Charlottesville a few years back, the protests there. But it was really the pandemic <laughs> as a pressure cooker and then George Floyd's death in particular a little over a year ago. And then that was the kaboom. This thing had been like releasing toxic fumes, as it were, into the room and then a spark. George Floyd's death kind of accelerated by the pandemic, I think. This is, again, just my opinion. Um, I think has given rise to the social context for why critical race theory has erupted. And so for about a year, year and a half or so, it's been longer, but particularly in the last year, nobody has wanted to be on the wrong side of racial issues in America. And so the, 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 the deep and wide expression of support for the African-American community, Asian uh, community, as well as Hispanic, you could say, but pre predominantly the African-American or the black community is where this critical race theory has come from. The history, the, 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 the sad, tragic history of slavery in America, uh, failed attempts at civil rights, Jim Crow, and, and so much else. And so critical race theory is being put forth in a context, a social, cultural context. It's got a history, it's got a genealogy, but more importantly, it's got a social, cultural context that gives rise. And perhaps because of other efforts in our society, and perhaps the church needs to wrestle with this, efforts of the church to uh, promote justice and equality and freedom and liberty and equal opportunities because the, the, the church um, trying to influence society would want to influence because we have a view that in Christ there is no Jew, no Greek, no male, nor female, no slave, nor free. There is no racial, there should not be racial differences within the, the understanding of Jesus Christ. We, we studied this in our Ephesian study recently. And so perhaps the church has failed in some ways, and then other legislative and other cultural, legal, and other models have failed. And so the critical race theories have said, move aside. If you all won't get it done, we'll get it done. And so this is being offered as an explanatory model for what's going on, trying to explain the dynamics of racial inequality, racial inequity, racial division. And so it is been, critical race theory has been put forth in front of us as a, what's the word I want to use? It's an explanatory model, but it's like it's a definitive, an authoritative, that's it, an authoritative explanatory model. This is why, no questions asked, this is why it is. But not only is it trying to offer a framework for understanding, kind of a, a, an intellectual framework for understanding uh, our society, it is offering a toolkit for action. And so that's what is being taught, okay? And so the idea, the explanatory model wedded with the toolkit for action are trying to get at the issue of racial, what the critical race theorists say, racial inequity, not inequality, 
inequity, a lack of equity. And we'll, we'll talk more about that this week. So that's where critical race theory comes from. We're experiencing in the popular cultural expression something that is derivative from the historical expression, okay? What exactly are they teaching our children and our employees here in America? Well, it's not the Frankfurt School. It's not the Harvard Law frameworks of critical legal studies and critical race theory in kind of a philosophical way. What is being taught is that which is derived from this framework. Certain ideas and certain assumptions already built in. Again, this is coming forward with the stamp of authority, unquestioned authority. You may not question these ideas whether in corporate spaces and training events, uh, federal workspaces. Um, I certainly, in my presbytery training earlier uh, this spring, um, there was never room given for asking questions. In one of the little sidebar chat um, we, we were broken into, we, we would spend three, three hours uh, at, a, at a crack on Zoom, and then we would go into these little small groups of, with, with various colleagues. And in one situation, I said, you know, but it sounds like this, there, there's, there's a, an application way beyond the, the white-black application. It, I, I, I'm, I, I think there's probably some application in other nations that would not have whites being the oppressors. And the response was literally, stay in your lane. <laughs> now, I know the person, and it wasn't meant angrily at me, but it was just... Don't ask that question. Just focus on what they're t teaching us. But I kind of, that hung with me. Stay in your lane. It's like, yeah, okay. So this is coming to us authoritatively derived from the Frankfurt School, the critical theorists, uh, the, the Harvard Law School, etc. But there are certain sets of assumptions and ideas that are being carried. So let me give the bottom line first, okay? This is the authoritative kind of declarative announcement. This is the conclusion of critical race theory from an explanatory standpoint, okay? Here's how to explain things. All the systems and all the structures of American society, that is the cultural, legal, medical, educational, etc., finance, all of that, all the cultural systems and structures of American society have been designed to preserve and protect the power of white heterosexual men. That is what is being assumed. It, that's what's being declared. That's what's being taught. That, that's what stands behind what is being taught. Now, it is the toolkits that is being taught to the children, okay? But the, the, the bottom line conclusion of critical race theory is the ailments of our society, the inequity, uh, the, the uh, injustice, legal uh, problems, the shooting of unarmed black men, the, the, the mass incarceration, uh, some of these ideas that I've been hearing about for, for a number of years, they all trace back to one framework for understanding that all the systems and structures of our society are designed to protect the power 
that is the oppressive power, the hegemonic power, we talked about cultural hegemony last week, the hegemonic power of white heterosexual men. Now, I'm just sitting with that, okay? I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be unfair. I'm not trying to set up a straw man, but I'm trying to say that is the assumption. So what is being taught to our children and to the our employees and what I was hearing uh, earlier this year were certain terms and certain tools that are reflective of this framework of the systems and structures being designed to protect the power of white heterosexual men. So the problem is white heterosexual men and everybody's complicity with that. Whether or not you're a white heterosexual male has nothing to do with it. If you are okay with American society as it is, well, then you've just internalized, you have kind of an internalized oppression. You've, you've, um, accommodated yourself to this thing and that needs to get out of you and you need to understand that you are oppressed. So some of the terms, um, and this is what we'll, we'll, we'll try to unpack uh, for the balance of this week and it'll probably stretch into next week as well. What I had, under, had framed as kind of a three-week study will probably go longer, is my guess. Um, and so there are ideas uh, around the social binary. You're either the oppressor or the oppressed. That's it. You belong to an identity group. So individual identity takes a back seat in critical race theory. You are identified by either race, class, or gender, or the intersection of race, class, and gender, where you fall on the matrix of oppression or the matrix of domination. And so, uh, again, I'm not making this up, okay? Patricia Collins, and so the matrix, I'm just gonna show this to you, the matrix of oppression, it is that. And so you've got social categories of race and sex and gender and sexual orientation and class and ability or disability, religion and age, and there are privileged groups. And so, and so, that the idea is with a social binary, you're either the oppressor or the oppressed. You are either privileged or you are marginalized. And so the matrix of oppression, and we're going to go through this. See, you've got the privileged groups, and then you've got these kind of these border groups right here. But then you have the targeted social groups that are over here, which implies intent, doesn't it? To say these are targeted groups. So we hear terms like white supremacy and white uh, privilege and white fragility. That is, if you ask a question of this framework, if this conclusion is kind of just baked in that the systems and structures of our society are designed and developed to protect and preserve the power of white heterosexual men, if you just raise a question to that, then you are part of the problem. <laughs> You can't ask the question. If you're a white person, then you might be accused or will be accused perhaps of, of showing your white privilege or your white fragility. And so you, we can't really have the, uh, and this is why the concern, particularly with children in the workspaces, the concern is if the employee asks the question, well, there might be impact for their employment and the child doesn't know enough to ask the question. And so children have been, um, be, have been asked to, to uh, 
try to understand, become aware of their privilege or where they are on this matrix of domination or oppression. And so I'm sure in a, in a, in a uh, reduced version, it's probably not as complex as what I just held up to the camera. And so it's this notion of intersectionality, race, class, and gender. It's the intersection of these three. We'll we'll talk about this later in the week. Um, Internalized bias, internalized racism, internalized uh, oppression, Um, lived experiences as a way of getting at truth. It's not so much studies and data anymore. It's really one's own truth. And if you're an oppressor, you couldn't possibly understand the lived experience of somebody in one of these marginalized groups. So don't even try to speak to it. (laughs) Don't even ask a question because you cannot question the authority of the lived experience of a marginalized person. Um, uh, So we hear things about systemic racism or structural racism, and then there's much to do about equity, not equality, but equity. Equity has to do with inequality of outcome, whereas our nation, most people think that we're a nation that provides equality of opportunity. You may come here, you may have a home, you may start a business, you may work, uh, you may uh, worship God as you choose or not at all. And so all of these equalities, these freedoms of opportunity critical race theory would say, no, there is no equality of opportunity because the systems have been designed to oppress. So we seek equity, which is an equality of outcome. There's a fixed amount of pie. And if you've got more pie than me, then we need to redistribute that pie. Okay. And again, there's probably some blending back into some Marxism. So I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to set up a straw man to knock it down. I'm just trying to say, these are the terms, these are the ideas that are coming to um, corporate America and the the training space, uh, cultural sensitivity trainings and the like, anti-racism or allyship training as as it was uh, called in our, uh, in my setting uh, in the presbytery. So, So we'll go through some of these terms and some of these ideas. But when you hear white supremacy, when you hear the words or the phrase systemic racism, when you hear internalized privilege or internalized racism, when you hear equity, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that phrase, um, the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, these are the byproducts, the derivative byproducts of critical race theory. Okay, so again, nobody's teaching the full-orbed historical framework and philosophy of critical race theory. It's teaching this boiled down version, um, a very simple framework about all the systems, the, the deck being stacked, and then these tools to identify where you are on this matrix of oppression, and then tools to help you decenter your whiteness. That's some of the language uh, I've been taught to the white people are centered. They get the center stage. So white whites need to decenter themselves so that others who've been marginalized can take center. So white heterosexual men need to decenter themselves and give the microphone, give the podium, give the platform to others who have been historically marginalized. Okay. So uh, the whole purpose of these terms and tools is to disrupt and dismantle this 
system, this structure that has been erected to oppress. So the very purpose of critical race theory in whatever manner it's being taught, again, in the academic sense or more commonly in the popular cultural sense that we're interacting with or hearing in our schools and in our workspaces, the whole point is to dismantle and to disrupt these systems of oppression, these structures of oppression, and achieve something called equity. Okay, so that's the the big goal is to tear it down so that we can rebuild it and there have an equitable uh, society. Okay, so I think I'm going to stop there. Um, there. There's more to talk about. Okay, we'll 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 take on Tuesday morning a, a part of the the framework that I think is essential, kind of where you start, and then we'll just uh, try to build some understanding. Um, and then what I'm eager to do uh, in the coming days, and probably more into next week, is to think out loud as a Christian. Again, I'm trying to offer a pastoral reflection. And again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. There's something that we need to pay attention to here, right? <laughs> there are problems in our society. If things were going well, or certainly a lot better uh, for a lot more people, there might not be this same um, push or emphasis. Now, as a Christian theologian who understands the universality of sin, even if things were better, there would still be some complaining because that's in the nature of the of the human spirit. And so let's let's close with prayer, and uh, hopefully I've given you a few things to think about today, and uh, we'll we'll pick up again tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercies, which are new every morning. Uh, and, and an expression of your mercies is that we would be in this land where there is freedom. Our hearts ache and we cry out on behalf of the people of Afghanistan, uh, those with whom we have relationship uh, through our um, new ministry in these last uh, several years, these 12 families. They may have family members in harm's way, and so we pray your mercy, O Lord. We pray for uh, the nation of Myanmar and Burma and Calais, uh, village, we, we pray uh, along with Austin and Sinte uh, for the, the destruction and the harm and the, the, the chaos that is unfolding in that country. And we pray for our own nation, Lord, in, in, a, in a culture that is divided over so many matters. And now it has come home to school boards and to um, businesses and to corporations where people are trying to do their job and, and are, are perhaps being challenged, Lord, in ways. So, so give strength, give courage, give humility, give wisdom, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we pray for his sake, and we join our voices as he taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may the God of all grace and mercy, hope and truth, joy, love, life, may that God bless you, keep you, and your loved ones this day and forevermore.